good to see all of you this morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Um, you know, it's, it is good to be together, and I just want to say, too, just as we you know, saw the video of yesterday's uh, Serve Saturday, and again, you know, we hosted the blood drive here, and, um, and also with uh, just kind of what we're doing with the, the upcoming uh, Songs by the Fire and everything, you know, you, you may ask, you know, like, why do we do so many things or, or do these types of things? And again, <clears throat> there's always that direct impact you see. You know, whether it's if it's giving blood or, you know, serving and working on things or the concert. But but what's what's what we're always looking for is the we always want to be seeing things through the lens of ministry. Right. We always want to be looking for those opportunities just to intersect with somebody that maybe maybe will not set foot at this point into a church somewhere. And so we go outside and we do things just to have uh, again to one to show, you know, our, our heart for the and to love people. But again, it's just for that chance, that opportunity that, that God might set up and orchestrate that conversation. And you know, I really want to encourage you uh, whenever we do, uh, especially the, like something like the blood drive, if you can come out and just to, just to serve and to volunteer, because again, we, we have tons of people coming through our doors that would never any other day walk through here. And so it's just a great opportunity for us to connect and to be seen uh, by the community uh, and to have that interaction and just to see what God might have. Um, today we're going to be picking up again, and, and as again, we have one more week next week, our last week in the book of Acts, and we're going to be picking up in there again. Who are my, in this room, and maybe you watching online can give a, a hands up or a high five or something, who are my like uber super planners in the room, like super organized? I know the ones that are raised, and I'm not surprised by the ones so far. I can see that. And now let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, or you can if you're proud of it. Um, who's, who's already has Christmas on their radar? Any, okay, right? You know, it's, I don't want to, you know, ruin it for some people, but it's, you know, it's a, pretty soon it's going to be four, like four months out, right? And, you know, it's funny. I don't know how I'll begin about you guys when you go to the grocery store or you go at the, you know, Walmart or something like that. And I swear, you know, it just seems to keep getting earlier and earlier, doesn't it? When you walk into the, the store and you're like, what in the world? You know, it's still like 90 degrees outside and we have Christmas decorations and, and all this stuff starts coming out. And, you know, I, I love Christmas. And, you know, in our house, we love to watch, you know, Christmas movies and, and do the whole thing. Um, does anybody, anybody seen the, the movie Santa Claus with Tim Allen? Can we watch that? Okay, yeah, raise those hands proud. That's okay. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a funny one, especially when the, the very first one, you know, and in, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy. It's a family show. And he basically is, is given the task of, you know, he's become Santa Claus, right? And, you know, the whole whatever Christmas magic thing, he starts to turn into Santa Claus. You know, he's, his, his hair starts to turn gray, starts growing like this beard. And it's interesting as he walks this out and he's, he's you know, he starts to like talk to elves, you know, he's trying to shave his beard off and then he turns around and it's back again and his belly starts getting bigger and everything else. And just, but just how far he goes to convince himself like this isn't really happening, right? And it's almost like, I think when we got pregnant with our, with our last son here, Levi, you know, I mean, I tried to convince myself like this, is this, this isn't happening. And he, he showed up, and I you know, had to come to that reality in those terms at some point. I think both of us had to wrestle with that at some point, because it, you know, it was a surprise a little bit. And, and so, again, you know, but there's something about coming to the reality, or sometimes we are seeing things, or sometimes things are happening in front of us, and we still are struggling. I think our minds struggle, right, to kind of catch up or to believe that we're really seeing what we're seeing, or that we're experiencing what we're experiencing. And today... You know, I, I say all that kind of to, to set us up a little bit for where we're going to go today. We, we are going to talk about prayer, and, you know, we are going to see, like, this narrative played out really where the early church is, is kind of, and, and members of it who you're going to recognize, are really struggling to see and to understand, I should say, what they're seeing and believe it, right? The whole seeing is believing, but the believing sometimes takes a little bit to catch up. And, you know... Again, much like that Santa Claus movie and, and what, what I shared earlier, again, we're going to see some of these things played out, and it's, it is almost comical now to, to read it. For example, you know, we're going to hear about Peter, which most of us here know about Peter, and, you know, he's not going to believe, he's, I don't want to give a spoiler, but you're going to find out here in a minute anyway, you know, he goes to prison, but he's, he gets out by miraculous means, and in the process, he's still not 
believing that it's happening, right? And, and even when he shows up to the people that were praying for him, you know, they can't believe that he's there. And so it's just we kind of keep seeing this pattern and this thing played out. But, you know, despite, you know, all this that's going on, and, and, and as we look at even in our own lives, I think that there are times, you know, when we're praying for something and, you know, I don't know if you've experienced a, a miracle on, on, on whatever level or, level or scale you may want to put it in, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's just, it's amazing, right? If that's why it's called a miracle, right? And, and when God does something that only God can do, you know, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, we're going to see even today, um, again, we're going to talk about King Herod a little bit, uh, who's on this scene here. And he, he brings in even, you know, these executions of these, these guards. And, you know, even in spite of all the stuff that's going on, and even in spite of the darkness that we're going to see, what's the most incredible, and I think probably why even the members of the early church were having a hard time, is because it's in the darkness like that, and when God kind of bursts on the scene and does something, how extreme it seems, right? How amazing it is. And I, I'm kind of teeing this up a little bit because, you know, we, we can look around us, and there are many places we can go online, you know, and it just seems almost like to kind of come crashing in all around us on just kind of the, the darkness that's in the world now. You know, before, before technology really kicked off and we could kind of have our little circles and our, our places and, you know, we could just kind of have our, almost our own reality, if you will. But now just things keep rolling in and, and it just kind of comes bursting on the scene and, and it can be overwhelming at times. And so, you know, I want, I want us to come back and as, as we, again, enter into this, this time today in, in Acts chapter 12, I want to remind us, and listen to this, this is going to sound like, oh yeah, I've heard that a thousand times. Prayer is a powerful gift that God has given the church. Prayer is a powerful gift that God has given the church. And it's a gift that I think that sometimes we maybe uh, take for granted, maybe don't, don't utilize. And, I, and listen, I'm preaching to myself today as well, because I need to be reminded of that as well. That we have been given the place that we can communicate directly with Almighty God, be welcomed and accepted into his presence, not because we're so amazing, but because he's awesome, and we're able to bring our concerns, we're able to bring our petitions before him and bring everything before him. And then he responds, right? Not because he has to, but because he loves us. God loves you. And so, you know, that, that is, again, the, this, this, this setup or the scene, if you will, as we enter into this time. And you're going to see even, again, you're dealing with apostles here still that were like literally physical, physically observed miracles that Jesus performed. And so, you know, that's the kind of the setting that we're going to go into. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Um, if you don't, the, the, the verses will be on the, the screen. Acts chapter 12. And we're going to begin with verse 1. And it reads, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for this morning. I thank you for, again, your word, Lord, and, and just for the gift that prayer is, that is powerful, that you've given us here as, as believers, as followers of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that. And so God, we ask, Lord, that you'll just bless our time here today. I pray that uh, the words that are said from this pulpit today will truly land on good soil in our hearts, Lord, and take root and become something amazing. And so we thank you for that and bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. So I was um, reading an article and I came across <laughs> this article and it, it kind of hurt my feelings, and so I'm going to share it with you, and maybe it'll hurt your feelings too. Um, it said, did you know that the average human attention span is just 8.25 seconds? Shorter than a goldfish. And I, again, I don't know about you, but that, 
struck me. I'm like, really? And, it's, and it went out and it said, research has revealed that human beings are indeed lagging behind the goldfish in terms of being able to focus on a task or object. Listen to these, all right? The average human has an attention span, again, of just 8.25 seconds, according to re recent studies, 4.25 seconds less than in 2000. The average human attention span decreased by nearly 25% between 2000 and 2015. And again, we're now lagging behind the, the standard of nine seconds the goldfish has. 25% of teens forget important details of their close relatives and friends. Again, I think most of you here have been around for a second. You know, I, again, I can, I can probably barely tell you my address now, but I can, I, my address that I grew up with back home when I was a kid, I can rattle off. How many know their home number when you were a kid, right? How many know more than 10 numbers now in your head of people that, that know, you know now, right? We just don't do it anymore, right? We go to our phones and anyway, it's, it's, uh, but teens here, again, they forget these important details. 7% of people forget their own birthday occasionally. I'm not going to ask for hands on that one, but uh, me and Leanna, we actually, we forgot our anniversary one year, but praise the Lord, we forgot it together. <laughs> and that's why I'm still standing here today. So 39% of Americans have forgotten one basic piece of information or lose one item they use on a daily basis in the last week. Um, the phone takes up an average, talking about our phone usage, an average of three hours and 16 minutes of someone's day. Three hours and 16 minutes. Imagine what you could do. When you get to the end of the day and you didn't get everything done, think about those three hours. A um, couple other things. The average um, page visit on a website lasts less than one minute, and users typically leave web pages in only 10 to 20 seconds. So they get, you, go, you, look up something, you go to a web page, and if it doesn't catch you, you're gone. You're going on to the next thing. And um, the last one, 59% of senior executives prefer to watch a video than read text if they had the choice, right? So we have definitely, I think, shifted in, in, the, in our attention span. Now, just so you know, I'm going to go longer than nine seconds today uh, in my sermon. So I hope you're, you're saddled in here pretty good. But... As I was reading this, and again, preparing for today, and as I was thinking about just what we're going to be talking about, but I came to this question of, of you know, we, we read here earlier this, this phrase, I don't know if you caught it at the end of what we read in Scripture, but it said that they earnestly prayed, earnestly prayed, and, you know, I'm just wondering how these statistics where we, we just get bored quickly, don't we? I mean, I don't know how many of us just like to sit down have it quiet. And again, you know, maybe some of us do like that, and I do like that. But it doesn't, you know, I may be sitting physically, but my mind is, it takes a while for me to kind of wind it down. If I don't do that, like, first thing in the morning, before, like, the whole day, you know, starts, I said unraveled, but started unfolding, my mind is just going, right? And I think we're all like that. And so I think we all sometimes can be challenged to sit and to earnestly pray or to intercede for someone or something, and so as we look at, uh, again, this passage today, and before we get too far into it, I want to break down again some of the, the characters that we're reading about that are, are showing up here, uh, the first one being King Herod, all right? And most of us have probably heard of King Herod, and, you know, if you remember that uh, when Jesus walked the earth, he said these words. He said that uh, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail, right? And a lot of times, especially here in the early church, it seemed like um, the Herods were the ones that were sort of being used by the enemy at their hands. They were such a violent and such, such oppression against uh, the Christians. And we saw, you know, we've been talking about this, that Christianity was on the move, right? If you remember here last week or if you were here, if you listened to the message, we talked about how in Jerusalem, because when Stephen was stoned and martyred, the church kind of started to spread and go out. But persecution was still being dialed up on the believers in Jerusalem. And so we see King Herod here, and we see throughout the New Testament, Herod shows up in many different places. You know, it's kind of uh, like that, that term Caesar, right? We know that Caesar wasn't like one person. It, it, again, it just, it's, they show up all over the place. And so the Herods are part of the Her Herodian dynasty, all right? So we see that name, and it can get pretty confusing because they mention Herod, 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 Herod all over the place. And so I want to kind of walk us through the Herods here for a minute so we understand what's going on. 
So the beginning of the New Testament, we have Herod the Great. Anybody heard of him? Herod the Great's a pretty common one you hear pretty often. Um, again, he was a descendant of the Nebataeans, which, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been uh, overseas to Jordan or in any of those areas. We were able to go to Petra, and that's the, the Nebataean Empire was the one that built that. And so this is a uh, descendant of that is, is Herod the Great. And he was ultimately, though, a descendant of Esau. If you remember in the scripture, Isaac had two sons, Isaac, uh, Esau and Jacob. So Esau's descendants is the line that, that the Herods came from. Go figure, right? <laughs> that there was opposition. <laughs> and so, um, you know, he's also the one that met Herod the Great with the, the Magi that, about Jesus' birth, right? He said, oh, I want to go worship. And he's the one that went on and murdered all the babies, you know, trying to stop this Messiah, this king that had been promised. And in fact, he even killed many of his wives and even some of his sons. So he's not a good guy, right? We, can, we all agree on that. And, and this is sort of that, that lineage, if you will. It's just, it's really messed up. And on his deathbed, um, um, the, when Herod was dying, he even ordered that some of the most notable citizens of Jerusalem be imprisoned. And upon his death, they were all to be executed. Why? Because he knew that nobody was going to mourn his death. And so he wanted the, town, the, the city to be in mourning. And so he had to actually kill people that people liked. That's how, you know, convoluted this, this, his mind was. And again, this is, uh, this is the first Herod, Herod the Great. All right. And, and so it, the, the fruit doesn't fall, fall far from the tree, right? We've heard that. And so the next one in line is Herod Philip the first. All right. And he marries, and it gets very confusing, is, is a woman named Herodias, right? Herod, Herod basically, Eus, Herodias. And she would ultimately be the one responsible for John the Baptist's death, but it's not during her marriage to Philip I, all right? We'll get to that in just a minute. Then you have Herod Antipas, all right? He ruled in the Galilean region. region. Jesus stands trial briefly before this Herod. And he lures, again, Philip I, wife, Herodias, away from him and to himself, this Herod Antipas, and he marries her, and then that's when John the Baptist, because he, he said, your marriage is, is garbage, basically, because, you know, of what happened, and they, again, ended up beheading him, so she, she was part of that. Then you have Herod Archelaus, all right, he ruled central northern parts in the region, and it was a bad king. Then you have Herod Philip II, and he shows up in Luke chapter 3, and he builds a city way up north called Caesarea Philippi, right? Herod Philip, of course, he has to name the city, get his part in there. Then you come to Herod Agrippa, and before Herod the Great killed his son, all right, his son, I remember back at the beginning when he, I said he killed his wives and, and some of his sons, when he killed his son Aristob Aristobulus his, his, and his mother, okay, the two, the son had a son, right? So before Herod killed his son, that son had had a child, a son, and, and had named him Agrippa. And that's this where Herod Agrippa came from. So he was actually kind of way back up in the lineage, but he showed up down here. And this is the Herod. Herod Agrippa is the one that we're talking about today in chapter 12. Everybody track all that? <laughs> Hopefully. If not, it'll be online. You can go back and watch it. But just to give you an idea, I mean, there are a number of Herods, and so it does get, if you're confused, you're in good company because there's just a lot of Herods in the Bible, and typically they just say Herod, but you're not sure exactly which one. And then we have one more, Herod Agrippa II, who will show up later in Paul's life uh, when he stands trial in Caesarea. And so, again, you've got all these Herods, and, and again, this, this lineage is just so, uh, uh, just, far away from God, and, and they do just horrific things. And so, again, they see, we see this direct persecution. Um, we also had in this passage of Scripture, James, right? There are a few Jameses in the Bible, but this James that had been uh, put to death here was the brother of John. If you remember in Scripture, whenever it talks about Peter, James, and John, kind of the three would always run together, it's that James, all right? That's the James that was, was put to death. And he's really the first martyr amongst the, the main apostles, right, who walked with Jesus. And so very significant. And, and as we say often, right, and this is always my goal when we, we, we 
explore the scriptures together when we're here together is is for us to understand and and think about, again, you know, remember Stephen, what happened to him, and as these these things are happening in these events, while there's lots of excitement, and we've seen that, you know, what God is doing and how Christianity is spreading, don't, you know, for a minute think that these things, especially somebody like James, one of the the, the original 12, if you will, that that he's, he's martyred. And think of the impact that has on the church. And so we see that happening, and right after that, then Peter, right? Peter, again, who is kind of the first among equals, he's kind of the guy, is taken in, in, into captivity, into prison. And as we read, he's delivered to 16 soldiers, not all at once, but two were chained to him, and, and two were watching all at one time. So there was four soldiers, right? Think about that. Two, two of them are chained to him, and then they have to have two actually watching him, too. Because, you know, they, they didn't want anything to have to escape somehow. And again, Herod had plans and wanted to, to make a, a spectacle of him. And he was set to be killed after Passover. And so this is kind of the setting, right? And this, the setting in itself, as, as any of us probably understand, is not good. <laughs> you know, Peter has been taken and captive by Herod, who is in this lineage, who has, they, they just kill people often. James has just been martyred, and now Peter has been taken captive, and they know that there is, is basically there's a set point in, in time that he's going to be put to death. Now, Herod here, this Herod Agrippa, he knew that Jewish, Jewish law wouldn't allow for the killing during Passover, and the one thing he did is he, he, he did accept some of the, the Jewish kind of laws and things, and he abided by some of those, and whether it was genuine or not, but it did, like, it, it struck a, a chord with the, the Jewish people, all right? And so, now remember, Christianity is over here, and it's kind of a, it's this, you know, heretical kind of thing going on. This is wrong, it's bad, and it's not supposed to be happening. So the Jews are against them, and Herod's getting points with the Jews, because, again, you know, he saw that when he, we put James to death, he got praise for it. And so his pride is being puffed up, and he, he's wanting to, again, give the Jews what they want. And so, you know, that's, that's what's, what's happening here. Now, just a side note, if you remember when Jesus was executed, he was executed during Passover, wasn't he? And again, it points to how illegal and uncommon it was during that time and how, how, how shady it was. But it, he had to be during that time, right, because he filled the, fulfilled the prophecy, and it, once again, it shows you how God was moving and using even the bad things and accomplishing his, his will and his plan. So we see all these pieces and we see kind of the picture now. We understand sort of the characters of where we're going to be today. So now let's jump back in and let's read on here a little further. In Acts chapter 12, beginning uh, back in verse 5 now, we'll jump back in. And it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, him being Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the, that the Jewish people were expecting. Let's read on in verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate 
but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So she leaves him standing outside. <laughs> um, they said to her, you are out of your mind. Again, we talked about it earlier. They like, no. Yeah, we're in here praying for Peter to be released, but there's no way he's standing outside. All right. You are out of your mind. And, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, is it an angel? But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. When he departed and uh, went to another, then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. All right, so now we kind of got the rest of the story here. We, we have this account. And again, you know, this is always something, you know, when, when the supernatural takes place, we have to come back to the place and understand, you know, we, we serve a, a, a God who's, who, again, sent his son Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to the earth. <laughs> and the whole premise of our belief is on the fact that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, was raised again from the dead on the third day, and is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, correct? And so when we see these things, they're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think we could, I mean, might need to back up and maybe you know, ask ourselves, you know, do we really believe in this, the whole premise of our faith? Again, God could do anything. And God had a plan and a purpose. And these things, these, these human things that were trying to, to interfere with that were not going to intercept what was, about, what was supposed to happen. And I love the, the beginning of this. You know, what was Peter doing? You know, again, he's the day before his death, before the dawn when he was going to be put to death and murdered. Was he pacing the, the prison wall or the floor and, you know, scratching his head? Or what, what was he doing? He's sleeping. <laughs> right? He was sleeping. He wasn't sitting there, you know, oh, no, what, what's going to happen? This is it. Is this the end? And things like that. You know, and that's something... I think that picture for us that some of us need to be reminded of. Again, myself included. You know, when things are, are happening or when a, a crisis comes up or a situation comes up, and again, there, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with urgency, <laughs> but when anxiety and fear and panic start setting in, we need to stop and remember, again, who do we need to go to first? And the answer should be to God, right? We need to come to the Lord and say, God, Help us, help me in this moment. And, you know, as Peter sat there and he's bound with chains to these guards and he's sleeping. And again, I wonder if his mind had gone back to, if you recall in the scriptures, if you've heard this or read this, when Jesus told him that he would not die till an old age. So maybe Peter had the confidence in what the Lord had told him, what Jesus had said to him. And despite of what he was seeing with his eyeballs and experiencing in the physical, he remembered and trusted in the fact that Jesus promised him that he would not see death until he was old. And so he was sitting there, maybe, I mean, that's my thought. Maybe he was just sitting there and just like, you know, it doesn't look good, but I know God's going to work this out somehow. <laughs> you know, he's not sitting there trying to like pick the locks or, you know, do like some James Bond thing. He's just sitting there like, all right, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to take a nap, work this out, and we'll move on. He could rest in that promise that Jesus had told him. You know, if we go back to Isaiah 26, where, you know, he says, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace. J. Oswald Chambers said this. He said that peace is in the absence of problems. It is the awareness of the presence of God. Peace is in the absence of problems. It is the awareness of the presence of God. What does that mean? That the problems are still there. But it's like tuning in that radio station, and all of a sudden we realize that, wait, God's presence is here in this moment. God is with me. You see, when we go to the Lord in prayer, that's, that's how the Lord wins. When we, when we get worked up in anxiety and, and all this worry, that's how the enemy wins, right? Because then we just get spooled up, we get off track, and we're just going to buy what we see with our physical eyeballs instead of relying on the promises of the Lord. And so Peter is sleeping, right? Peter is sleeping. 
with these two, you know, between these two soldiers. And I love it because this angel of the Lord shows up. And it's funny, you know, he doesn't kind of like nudge Peter. You know, it says he strikes him on his side, right? Like kind of like, get up, let's go. And Peter jumps up and get up quickly. But then he says, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And again, you're kind of wondering what's happening. But with a miracle like this, we don't know. But the, the, the soldiers were there, but apparently not aware of what was going on. And so they're walking out. The gate opens, you know. And they walk out, and then the angel of the Lord, once Peter's in a, a safe place, he, he, he leaves him, and Peter goes on because he's got to check in with everybody back that had you know, been praying for him. Now, here's the thing, and this is where we're going to start getting into just, I want to talk about prayer for a little bit here. And, you know, we think of, we look at James and Peter, and we have to understand, and I'm sure we can, we can probably confidently say that both were committed and loved Jesus deeply, Right? Both were committed in, in what they were doing, what they were called to do. They were both men of God. So then my question to you would be, <laughs> why was one of their earthly lives spared and one not? Why was James not, you know, put to death, but put to death with a sword, and yet Peter is released from jail by the hand of the Lord? Let me, let, me, let me bring it into a little more context. How come this person over here with cancer experiences healing, who loves the Lord and, you know, we prayed for, while this person over here with cancer who loves the Lord and we prayed for dies? How come this child is being raised in a, a wonderful home with parents who love them and, you know, they're, they're being loved and cared for and, and, just ha and they just do so well in this environment. Well, this child is in the car with a wonderful family and in a car accident and in a moment, his parents and siblings are all killed and, and, and left suddenly as an orphan and, and with no one. Why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? And in this moment, again, as we look at this account, why was James allowed to die and Peter was spared? Again, as we, we, we kind of came onto the scene and at this home uh, of John Mark, again, and this was also believed to be the kind of the headquarters of the church in Jerusalem at the time, was this home where, where Peter had come back to. And we mentioned at the beginning of our time today, and, and, and we said that they were praying, not just praying, but they were praying earnestly for Peter. Let's talk about that word for a minute, earnest. I don't know that we hear it often today anymore, and it kind of goes back to what I talked about at the beginning of you know, our attention span and, and how do we stick with something for a long time when, when just we're in this, this mode of just moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And here we see this picture of, of what it is to, to pray earnestly. And this word earnest uh, comes from the word ektenos. And, and in, other, in other, some translations use the word fervent as well, if you've heard that fervent prayer. All right? It can mean also without ceasing. When you see prayer without ceasing, that's, these are all sort of the same, same words being used. And uh, again, the, word, the root word of it, it actually means to stretch out. And so this image then is, is of the church crying out to God in such a way that it is as if they were reaching out to him for assistance, to stretch out. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So we see it throughout Scripture. There's, there's something. It's not, you know, it's not this, this kind of just fly-by prayer, which at times, you know, that's, that's all you got. I mean, you know, you, you're just on the go, whatever. But this is this, this deep, heartfelt, earnest prayer, this persevering prayer. In Luke 22, verse 44, it says, In being in agony, this is Jesus, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's going to go to the cross, it says that he was in agony and he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And again, I don't know if anyone in this room, I, I know I haven't ever prayed that hard that I was in a state like that Jesus was in that evening. But that's, that's the, the depth and how deep and, and how, like he was praying so fervently, so earnestly for the, for what? What was he praying for? Do you remember? I'm gonna get a little, little, little ahead of where we're gonna go, but what was he praying? He was praying for the cup to pass from him. Jesus was praying, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please take it. <laughs> then he finishes it, but not my will, but yours be done. Where he surrenders himself and says, I'll do what you ask of me. Again, we see this prayer throughout Scripture. We see these types of prayers, and we see that there isn't, there isn't this magical recipe, right? It's not like you're, you're, you're putting these things together, and if I, if I sit in this place and I, you know, I do this thing and I say this order of words, that the Lord's going to give me anything that I ask for, right? Like a big a vending machine in the sky or something. Here we had the Son of God, God in, in the flesh, asking his heavenly Father for something to happen, and he was told what? No. And, you know, when we look here at, this, at the church here, at the early church, and as they were praying for Peter, I'm, 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 I feel like we can confidently say it's not like right here or you can read it, you know, word for word. But I, I'm pretty sure that they would have prayed earnestly for James as well. We don't know the timeline of how when he was taken captive and put to death. But if they got wind of it, I'm sure they were earnestly praying for James's release. Just like they did for Peter. And if you remember uh, when James and John's mother, I don't know if you recall this, in Matthew uh, chapter 20... She asked Jesus if, if, if in his kingdom her two sons, James and John, could sit at his right and left hand, right? And Jesus' response was, was almost kind of a foreshadow. And he says this in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 23. It says, and, and he asked the question to, to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? What cup is that? <laughs> Suffering, death, right? That was going to be poured out. And they answered to him, they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And so again, you know, Jesus kind of foretold or foreshadowed, yeah, okay, you're gonna drink this cup. You're gonna suffer and you're going to ultimately die physically. And as I said earlier, as, as, as they petitioned, I believe, God, and, and on behalf of James for his release, I believe that, again, God did answer. It's not that he doesn't answer. I think the answer was, was no. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a reason for this. There's a reason, you know, James had come to the end of his work here on earth, and for whatever reason God saw, he said, no, he's not going to be released. And that's sometimes the answer we get when we come to the Lord in prayer. It's No. And if you're like me, or if you're like any of my kids, and if you have kids, no is not, it's not usually received well, is it? But it is an answer. And listen to this. When your kid comes to you, hey, can I go play out in the middle of the busy street? No. <laughs> Am I saying that to be some mean and horrible person that I, I don't want to let my kid go out and play with semi-trucks and, you know, cars blown by? Or is that a no out of love <laughs> because I don't want them injured or hurt? Sometimes the Lord will answer yes. Those are always great too, right? Maybe you've heard this before. You know, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's slow. What does that mean? Maybe not now. Just be patient and let this unfold, right? 
You know, the, the early church didn't get their special forces team and go breaking into the prison, you know, and we're here to get you out. <laughs> they were patient and they prayed and then God did what he did. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life there have been times I feel like I think I, I kind of stepped in front of what God was trying to do because I wanted to take it in my own control <laughs> and make it happen instead of God just allowing it to, to walk out. God's ways are not our ways. And listen, <laughs> as a short phrase, but it, it takes a lifetime to understand and we probably won't by the end of it. God's ways are not our ways. In Isaiah 58, again, verses eight and nine, probably very familiar. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, it's the Lord talking. Neither are my ways your ways, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So sometimes we have to come back to that place of just understanding the Lord is, he's God, <laughs> and we are not. And so we have to just trust him and let him just, again, unfold things as he sees fit. As we prepare to kind of wind things down here today, and, and again, I, I really just want us to, to just pause, and I want us to, you know, if, if you were... Don't raise your hand. Don't do anything. Just if, imagine in your mind, scale of 1 to 10, if you had a number above your head right now, a gauge of your prayer life. What do you think it would be? Would it be something that you would want really bright for everyone to see, or would you kind of just be like sliding down in your chair? See, that's... That's, that's the root of it all. I mean, that's, that's the place it all starts. And, and again, that's, that's where, you know, again, we have to come to first and foremost is, is that place of prayer. And listen, I get it. You know, I, I've been in those times and those seasons where, you know, you, you feel like your prayer is just barely getting to the roof and ricocheting and coming right back at you. You know, there's, there's those moments where you're just, it, it's, it's hard. It's a struggle but we're still called to it and we still need to, to, to be doing it with an expectancy or, or, or saying, you know, understanding that God can do anything. God can do anything. And the amazing thing here, and this is, I mean, it's, there's, I think you'll see the humor, is the early church, the very thing that they were praying for came to pass and they didn't believe it. <laughs> God set, set Peter free, you know, release him, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, and, and they're praying fervently for this. And so all of a sudden, Peter shows up at the door like, hey, your prayers were answered. Praise God. <laughs> and they don't even open the door at first for him. They're like, there's no way that he could be here. So what does that say about their faith? You guys are really quiet on me today. I hope you're thinking. You're answering these questions in your mind. What does it say about their faith? And you don't have to answer, but just think about it. What does that say about their faith? When the thing that they were praying for happens, yet they're having a hard time believing it. Were they praying expectantly? I mean, and I, I, I think I can see there's a difference, right? There's, there's, you can pray fervently, but it's different to expect something, an outcome that God's going to really show up and do something. You know, there's teaching out there within the churches that sometimes they say that, you know, if, if you have enough faith, then it will happen. You know, I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, I don't know about you, but I, I know that God can do anything. I really do. I mean, I, I believe that with my whole heart. And if, if I'm honest, you know, I think, there, you know, there are seasons and, and there are moments when I, I'm praying fervently but I would, I would question maybe if I'm, if I'm in the expectant part. And, you know, in these, in these veins of the church where, you know, again, they, they, they talk about this, like you just don't have enough faith. I have seen that do more damage to people. People that we love. My, I mean, we, we, there were people when I was overseas and, and people in our church, young, you know, young adults that, you know, had a, that one, one girl had a, a physical ailment. And she got into this circle of, 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 I call them believers, but 
I'm like, you know, well, there must be unconfessed sin or you don't have enough faith. You know what that does? Is it, it pins the outcome of, of what you're asking on, on the person instead of on God. That God is the one who brings about this thing. It's not, it's not about us. Now, do we have a part? Do we need to step into it? Yes, we do. But how many know that, know that God does things sometimes before we even ask? He does. God blesses us sometimes. God will do something just because he's God and he can do it. And then there's other times that we pray. And again, maybe we're like, like, like the early church here. And we, you know, the outcome maybe happens and we have a hard time like, wow, I can't believe that actually worked. And I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at, if you're, you know, if you're struggling with your prayer life right now, if you're up just doing a great job, but, but wherever you are, are you praying with expectancy? And do you expect God to do something? You know, again, you know, we, we see that, that prayer has a part and we're called to pray. It's throughout scripture. We're told to do it. And so I want to just challenge you and challenge us today. Do you believe God can answer the prayers that you petition him with? I know it's, listen, you know, I, I've never seen, you know, somebody grow a limb back or I've never seen a miracle like that. I'd love to. But I'll tell you this much, I know that God can do whatever he wants to do. I always, I mean, you know, I, I walk into situations sometimes as a pastor and it's not pretty. <laughs> I remember there was a, in, in Kuwait when I was working there and one of my coworkers, he was, he was on his way to work, going down a main road, lady who stepped out in front of him, he struck her with a car and killed her. And she was laying on the road and Al was, his girlfriend showed up at my door where my, my family and I were there and I'm, I'm on my way to work. And so we drive around, I come up behind his car and you know, he's on the curb, like just sobbing. Like he doesn't know what to do. He does, he's, he's in another plate. I mean, he's just checked out mentally. And I walk up and I mean, he literally just like grabs, I'm standing next to him, he just grabs my leg and just starts sobbing. And he's asking, he's like, will you go pray, go pray for her? And I'm like, <laughs> I, my faith isn't, you know, I prayed for her, but she didn't get up. And, you know, and, and those are the situations, and we just don't know, but God does. And, you know, we are, just, we are supposed to, to bring it to the Lord, and, and we have to just cry out to God and, and give room for him to do whatever, you know? And I, I just, I, I come to you today, church, because, again, prayer is what we're called to do, and prayer changes things, and we are called to continue and persevere in prayer. In Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all right, this was, again, the man came to him, told him about his son that was demon-possessed, and he's like, I need you to get, get this kid straight because it's, it's horrible watching my son go through this. And Jesus' response to that as he pleads with Jesus, he says, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes, is what Jesus says to him. And this is, I believe, where we all should be today is right here. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Because I believe there are places and there are things that, yeah, we can pray for something. There's, it's like, oh yeah, I can pray for this. But there are places, just like that experience I shared with you, like, I, I, I don't have it right now. Help me in my unbelief. What I want to do today as, as we prepare to wrap up our time, is that we're going to pray. And I want a chance to pray for you. And what I want to do just in this, these next few moments, and we're going to wrap up here and we're going to get on our way, but I don't want to rush through this. And this is a little different than we, we, we've done or we typically do. But if you're here today and you have been persevering in prayer for something. I would like to ask you, I wanna invite you down. I want you to come stand just, just around here, just around the front, because I want you, again, I want us to, to come alongside of you 
And I believe that as we come alongside and we pray fervently, and you've maybe been praying fervently for something, but I also wanna pray again, just as this man said, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And if you would give that privilege to me this morning, I would, I would, I would just appreciate it. And if so, again, we're not gonna extend this out super long. If you are praying for something, there's a need in your life that you need an answer for, I want you to come and just line up right here, and I'm just gonna pray briefly for you. Anybody, if you want to do that, just come forward. I truly believe with all my heart that God wants to meet you in this place. Just come forward and you can just kind of line up across the front here. Can God do it in your seat? Sure he can. But sometimes we have to put our, our, our body in a motion or in an action to get our brain caught up to it and get our heart caught up to it. Anybody else before we pray? If you're watching online, I, I hope you'll reach out in the chat there. I'd love to pray for you. All right, bow your heads, please. Father God, I thank you for each and every person down here. Lord, I don't know the exact specifics, Lord, but Lord, you do. You see the hearts of your people down here. And you see, Lord, again, exactly what it is that they need and what they're praying for. God, I pray for the ones here up front and in this place today that maybe are questioning or wondering, Lord, where are you? But God, we do not know what your will, what your plan is. God, we just know, again, that, that you are working and that you are moving, Lord, amongst your people. God, I pray I pray, Lord, just for, again, any unbelief that may be lingering, Lord, in their lives, in their prayer time, Lord God. Maybe they've given up, Lord. God, I pray that you would, as your word said, Lord, that you would help them, help us in our unbelief. God, that you would meet them, Lord, in the place where they are. God, we know that you can do great and powerful things and mighty things, Lord God, and you invite us to come to your throne room and lay those things down at your feet. And so, God, I ask right now that you would meet my brothers and sisters here. God, that you would refresh them and renew them and renew their hearts and renew, again, just their desire, Lord, to pursue you, Lord, into the depths of their prayer life, into their walk with you. God, that once again, they would dare to dream and believe, Lord God, for you to do something amazing, to do a miracle. God, I thank you that many of the people up here, I'm sure, have prayed fervently. And now, God, we would just ask you, Lord, to give them that side of expectancy that you would just truly show up and do something amazing. And God, also that, much like we saw in, in the garden with Jesus, Lord, to be content and to know, Lord, that, that your will would be done and that we would surrender to that if that is, if that is what you want as difficult as that may be. God, I thank you for each one here. I thank you for all of those here in this place and watching online. God, that you would challenge us, that you would move and that you would meet us, Lord, where we are. God, we need you. And we thank you, Lord, for this time, for this service today, that our hearts have been stirred and that, Lord, I pray that we've been drawn towards you and closer to you in every area and especially in the area, Lord, of, of our prayer life and our communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.